Today's program is brought to you by Juniors. You have not really lived until you've had cheesecake at Juniors. For more information, visit juniorscheesecake.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to Fun About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzby. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We have a very, very special uh, show today. We're very, very excited to have it. Mary, tell us more about it, because you've kind of been going crazy this week for Cider Week. It's Cider Week. This is a pre-record if you haven't figured it out now. We're in December at this point, but yeah. Um, oh, no, totally. We're going to have to splice this show up. No, anyway. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't believe you. All right, so this is actually a show, a guest that we've been planning to have on for a long time. So right. we have Nat West in the studio That's from funny. Rev Nat Hello. Cider in Portland, Oregon. And you are, in fact, in town for Cider Week, hence Correct. the pre-record. Yep. Um, but we're super excited to have you. I think we first met you here in New York City mm-hmm. at Jimmy's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were in Portland earlier this year, and I stopped by the Cidery. The Craft Beer Brewers Conference. Yeah. Yes, yep. and, and you were having an all-Oregon cider Right. Fest craziness with all kinds of other cider That's like every day. Makers. <laughs> no, that's, I was unable to attend that one because I, I was just getting to town. But Mar- and Mary left before you did a hot cider event, which was pretty incredible. Yeah, that was in April well. this year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, April of every year. This is our uh, second year doing it. 2015. We'll do it again in 2016. In 2014, the first year, we had 25 hop ciders that I found from around the world. Uh, this year, we had 45 hop ciders. It was so it just keeps getting bigger and bigger because more people are making awesome ciders and by extension hop ciders. Yeah, that's awesome. It's we're an gonna, amazing expression of hops. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about you, Nat. Ooh, let's so talk how, about you. Yeah, how did you start making get into cider making? The the story goes that um, I was um, I've been making cider for about eleven years now. Uh, I made it a home for the first um, seven or so years of my cider making life. Uh, I started making cider because I uh, was a, a new uh, stay-at-home dad, and um, I didn't really want to hang out with the stay-at-home moms, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to make alcohol instead with my daughter, which was super family-friendly. Um, Somebody's um, got to clean the kegs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pick the apples. So, uh, my, my neighbor had an apple tree that was... Um, you know, huge, lots of apples. We made applesauce. Uh, I used to actually run a, a CSA, an urban CSA in Portland as well. So I was kind of in the home preser- uh, food preservation, gardening sort of community. So this guy was like, hey, I got these apples. Uh, I don't have to do with them. We made applesauce. We made apple pies. We dried them. And then there's still way more apples <laughs> than what you need to do with. But um, being in Portland and being at the time a 29-year-old uh, Portlander, I knew a lot about craft beer because that's what everybody in Portland does, knows. Uh, and I knew you could get drunk off apples. I'd never had cider before. So the very first cider that I ever had was my own. So I didn't come into it with any preconceived notions about what cider should be. I, I came into it uh, with a love of beer. And it's still, to this day, it's, it's uh, my cider making is really driven by that love of beer. 
so I made I made more and more cider every year, um, and then I wanted a new job. Hated my old job. I did IT. Okay. And um, got out of that, and now the cider business has been around since 2011, and um, we're in uh, four states, uh, four countries, um, four, five, six states too. Um, I've got 18 full-time employees, and That's business fantastic. is just booming. How big is the is the cidery? About 10,000 square feet. When, as soon as you walk in the door, uh, you guys know you've been there. As soon as you walk in the door, there's a tap room. Um, and the, the bar, the, the, the wooden bar, is pretty much the only thing that separates uh, you from the tanks. There's tanks and people cleaning kegs right behind <laughs> yeah. the bar. Um, you know, we got a Yelp review one time that said, I uh, came here on a, a, a romantic dinner date with my husband, and there was somebody, a pump was on, and it was kind of ruined the ambiance. And, you know, you, you know, Yelp calls me, like, all the time. They're like, you want us to take that bad review off? I'm like, no, can you stick it at the top, please? Make sure everybody reads it. This is a working cider. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Did it always start? You started in that, have you been in that space since you started? No, I actually started the business in my uh, basement. Then I expanded into my garage. Um, and then after about eight months total at, at home, um, I moved in, we moved into the space that we have now. We've, we've since sort of uh, um, added little spots in the same building. So we started off with 3,500, then we added about another 3,000, then we added 1,500, and then we added another 1,000. So um, we've got, it's kind of like a rabbit's warren of space in, in the building that we have now. But I, I did have a fully licensed winery in my basement, which was not too That's, many people have no. gotten around to that. So we run into a lot of zoning issues here in the city. Yeah. We, we fight a lot that yeah. other cities do not. The city was the city of Portland was one of the many bureaus that I had to talk to, and um, they were pretty cool with it. That's great. Yeah. Um, going back, though, so your first cider, tell us about your first, very first cider. So, what, what, so mm. you knew you could make alcohol from cider. What yeah. were your resources and what was that first batch like? And was it was it love at first sight? What, what apples did you use? What juice did you yeah. use? Yeah. Well, a lot of it, I mean, it all comes from uh, my love of beer, but also love of apples, um, being, you know, the gardener guy or whatever. And, 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 and literally, it was like, what, what am I going to do with my two-year-old daughter uh, So you know, in, in the summer and the fall? So we just would ride around the neighborhood um, collecting apples from people's trees that were falling in the street or knocking on the door and asking if we can uh, have their apples out of their backyard. We found a lot of sort of apple trees at the edge of Portland where... Uh, there used to be orchards, maybe, and um, the development hasn't quite caught up with all those you know, abandoned orchards yet. Um, so it was, it was also a, re- a really exciting thing to take waste product, take, take something that is just being wasted. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the same time, there are these apples that are, you know, apple, Garden of Eden, all that stuff. So it's like the apple is this really pure fruit that's being wasted that I'm turning into the greatest sin that you know, <laughs> ever. You're right? doing urban foraging. Yeah, Wait, urban urban drunkery. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. So you talk about how your side, you're coming from more of a beer approach and your love mm. of beer and, yeah. and apples. So what were you using, like, beer yeast when you first started? Do you continue to do that? Like, how does your approach... Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, I, I, obviously, I didn't... I've never made beer either to this day. So I didn't come into it with a beer-making um, set of knowledge. I came into it with just a beer appreciation. Um, I still drink mostly beer. Probably 85% of the alcohol that I drink is beer, and the rest of it's my ciders. Um, but the, you know, the very first thing I did was I went to the uh, homebrew shop, the local homebrew shop, and um, I have n- I'd never been in there before, you know, and I said, I'm trying to make, I got apple juice, what do I do? And they gave me all the standard re- standard advice of, you know, um, sulfite it and add some malic acid if you need to, and 
um, they're, they're relatively intelligent guys at the at, at that time. Um, of course, we're doing things completely different than the common, uh, you know, advice for making cider. You know, 99% of the cider consumed by volume in the United States right now is made with a white wine yeast or champagne yeast. And um, nearly everything that we make is a beer yeast. Um, uh, beer you know, yeast contributes sixty percent. Uh, yeast specialists, like people who work for Lalvin, they say that um, uh, yeast contributes sixty percent of the aroma and flavor to a finished beer. Uh, so I, I think, wow, that's that's a huge opportunity for uh, flavor to for you to change, you know, how your ciders are coming out by using you know the world of of, of beer yeasts. Right, and there's, I feel like from a homebrewer's perspective, there's a lot more beer yeast varieties there certainly then is. there are wine yeast varieties. yeah you go to the, you go to the homebrew shop and the wine yeast is like six or eight or ten dusty packets and the beer yeast is like a whole cooler full of cold stuff and a, sh- a huge shelf full of I mean, you, you look at the the beer styles chart everyone's seen this you know periodic table of beer um there's the varieties are just huge number of varieties, and the way you get variety in, in wines in, in winemaking is with grapes. Right, right. But, but the way you can get it with a, a large contributor to it in beer making is the yeast that you use. So when when, I, when we're developing a recipe, I, I think about what I want the finished product to be, and then uh, just sort of hunt for the right beer yeast to match what we're trying to get out of the rest of the cider that's being made. Awesome. So where are you sourcing your apples from now? All from Washington and Oregon. We buy um, out of the packing houses. Um, there are, you know, oceans of apples um, in Washington state. Um, Washington grows more apples than every other state in the U.S. combined. People are like people in New York are like, oh, we grow a lot of apples here. I'm like, no, you don't really <laughs> grow much in the way of apple. I mean, you do grow a lot, but that just shows that there's just vast quantities of apples in Washington state. And they're really, really high quality apples. Um, they're, they're dessert apples. They're not traditional cider making apples, but, um, uh, traditional cider making, uh, exists around the world, around the world with the fruit that's in that area. Um, you know, there is a reason why the, the, uh, people, the, uh, a cider that you might consume in Spain tastes different than the one that you might drink in um, England. And the Spanish cider makers aren't thinking to themselves, oh, if only we could make cider that tastes like England. Um, and so, so I'm taking that approach, too. I'm not saying I want to make ciders that taste like English ciders or taste like I want to make American ciders. Right. And what American cider is, I'm not necessarily coming down hard and telling you what, every, what everybody should make for to be an American cider. But I know that it's not English. And it's not French. And it's not Spanish styles. Those are it's great to make those. I love drinking those. But that's not the ciders that I want to make. Right. And that's pretty reflective of American culture anyway. We t- For sure. We take a lot that we have, you know, brought over from other cultures and then do riffs on it and go from there. Yeah. So um, in the Pacific Northwest, obviously, we drink a lot of beer. We make a lot of beer there. And there are, uh, you know, West Coast IPA is a style that, that got is, is getting a lot of traction on um, the Cascadia Dark Ale or Black IPA. Those are um, great, you know, styles that have been developed that are real bastardizations of previous um, styles, uh, you know, the Ryan's Gibbot would go crazy if they knew what we were doing with beer these days. <laughs> and, and you know, being a beer fan, it just comes super naturally to me to put different yeasts in, or put hops in, or add different fruits, or whatever. So let's talk about your approach to hop ciders. So we started talking about that before. Yes. So you living in you know one of the hop meccas of mm-hmm. the world. So how are you taking advantage of a lot of those? How many hop ciders do you put out? How, how much have you experimented with? Oh what? yeah. So at, at, at the 2015 Hop Cider Festival, we, like I said, we had 45 different hop ciders. Um, we made 12 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I, 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 one of my lead cider makers recently uh, left. He 
chased his girlfriend to Europe. Anyway, long story. But uh, he put on his resume, I am the most experienced hop cider maker in the world. And I was like, yeah, that's totally legit. I mean, because everyone's made one or two, but we've probably made 20 different hop ciders using different hops and different hop techniques and uh, you know different times and different base apples and everything. So we use a lot of different hop... Um, a lot of different hops, different varieties of hops, not just all West Coast aroma hops. We use some German hops. We use um, you know, hops that you might typically use for uh, boiling, high alpha acid hops. Um, we do actually, we do a lot of different processing. Everybody makes, who makes hop ciders, they make a dry hop. So they'll make the cider and, and put the hops in there to right. soak just like a tea. And uh, we do that a lot too, but we also cook hops just like you'd make when you're making a beer. And that's kind of um, crazy, really. I have questions regarding that. So when you when you cook the hops, are you doing it with with uh, with the water base, or are you doing it with apple juice? Uh, always with apple juice. Um, we made a we made a uh, a, a cider uh, last year, let's say twenty fourteen, and we since then we've been making versions of it. Um, it's called Hopland, or technically Hopland, and then a number after that. We're on Hopland number seven now, and. The uh, Hopland is, uh, you, you basically try to make a double or triple IPA, but instead of starting with wort, sweet wort, we start with um, apple juice. Yeah. So we take the apple juice to a brewery. We always do it at a brewery because we don't have a tank that's big enough. And we kettle it. And the whole time when we're uh, cooking it, we're adding hops, continuous hopping, a big hop burst at the end. We're using all the modern hopping techniques, like we use a whirlpool as well. Mm-hmm. Um we have a giant hop back that we use whole leaf amarillo yes. in um and then of course multiple stages of dry hopping so i i don't really know my way around hops um as well as i'd like there are brewers who do this you know day and night mm-hmm. but that's a really exciting thing for for me to learn more about hop utilization and yeah. the varieties of hops and, and how to get because you know, I, I drink um, great IPAs, and I think, oh, my God, how do they make it taste like that? That is so amazing. Uh, one day, maybe we'll get some ciders to taste like that. To pop in there. Yeah. And what have you... So when you are doing that hot process, mm-hmm. how... what? How, are you, how is that coming out differently, I guess? From yeah. A, from, a, like, a Roman flavor and texture and all that stuff. Right. So th- when you when you cook hops um, over about 150 degrees Fahrenheit, that's when they start, the hop oil starts to isomerize, so they come out and they get bitter. Um, uh, hops, when they're not cooked, are just super floral, very aromatic. Sometimes our Hallelujah Hoppercott is one of our best sellers, and sometimes people drink it and they say, oh, I'd wear that as a perfume. So it's just, it's very floral. But when you start cooking things, you get bitterness in there. So you are basically getting IBUs. We're getting a huge amount of IBUs. So you're taking advantage of the alpha acid. Yeah, we we, we sent it off to the lab and we got 85 IBUs out of this hop hop cider. Whereas our normal Hallelujah Hoppercott has like 19 sort of accidental IBUs. If you just put hops in any liquid, some of the oils will get us omerized just natural sort of stuff um so very but you wouldn't call um our hoppercott bitter by any means right it's just very floral um and then the uh the hopland project i you know i i don't like to call hopland a cider um because it's not anything what people would expect when you say the word cider um a lot of the stuff that we make it kind of makes people think oh that's different but hopland is so far removed from being a cider that um you know i don't know i don't really know what it is but it's delicious if you like hops if you don't like hops stay clear away from it and are you dry hopping that as well we do multiple dry hops yeah i think we we probably use in hopland we we use typically use seven to ten different varieties of hops and we hop it at least five different times throughout the process so it gets i mean it's basically like hop juice um with a cider you can definitely taste still taste apples in there it's always really important for me that we're not just making you know alcoholic 
whatever, you know, right. vodka-based, clear malt-based things. Um, you can definitely still taste the apples in there. We actually I sent that cider to um, a beer competition. We entered it in the double IPA category and didn't, didn't tell anybody that it was cider. Uh, apples. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was rated pretty good, but all the comments were, it tastes like there's apples in there. Some, some kind of infection or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not that. That works. How important is uh, then insider residual sweetness for for dealing with that kind of bitterness and IBUs? Yeah, so if you, um, you know, what is the definition of a triple IPA? It is um, high hop, lots of hop character, flavor and aroma, high alcohol, and some level of sweetness in order to counteract the high alcohol and incredible hoppiness. But if you're defining a a, a triple IPA, it doesn't say must have beer in it. it should have beer in for the triple IPA, right. but but the the characteristics of them are not necessarily biscuity, you know, malty. We just want sweetness in there. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's we always have some level of sweetness in there. You know, speaking in specific gravity, it's probably like in the ten ten range, maybe as high as ten twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really went through uh, classic IPA recipes and uh, noted their IBUs and their uh, uh, alcohol levels and their residual sweetnesses, and we just try to match some of those uh, characteristics in our cider, in, yeah. that, in that particular cider. Awesome. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back with Nat West from RevNat Ciders. Welcome back to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is for men about it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. It's right. been a long fall winter. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the studio with Nat West from RevNat Cider, and we, we're just talking about your hop ciders, but you do a lot of other super interesting mm. ciders, mm-hmm. as well as tapache. So let's yeah. let's talk about... i got to go into tapache, because I also make that, mm. and, and I think I think there's been there's more interest overall, but what inspired you to start making tapache? Uh, well, what the heck is tapache? Okay. We, should, we need to yeah, start what there, is I guess. Tapache? Go there. tapache is a traditional uh, rural Mexican drink made using the skins, the leftover parts of pineapple after you're done eating the inside of it. So it's pineapple-flavored, lightly alcoholic. Uh, it's also a lot of the fermentables come from a sugar called piloncillo, which is just um, piloncillo means a little pylon. In Spanish, so it's like a little cone-shaped sugar. It's it's very commonly found in, in Mexican markets. Uh, it's a completely. It's actually technically not even a sugar. It's a un, um, uh, just cane juice, unrefined. Um, uh, yeah, uh, evaporated cane juice. Yeah, so it's a lot less processed than sugar. Yeah, well, it's like zero process. Yeah, if you can go on YouTube and look up making piloncillo, the way they take it is they take a, a cane of sugar, which is like a piece of bamboo, kind of run it through a, a squeezer. The juice comes out. That's just cane juice. And then they put it in these muffin tins, basically, to, to dehydrate. And that's it. 
they pop the muffin tin upside down and there you got your pill and seal. So it's, it's completely unprocessed. Um, so it's got a huge amount of flavor in that sugar. Um, you know, all these caramel and molasses flavors are in there. As well as nutrients. As well as a lot of nutrients, yeah. yeah. And then um, we, we take a little bit of American twist on it by using the whole pineapple. We don't just use the scales, the, the skins of the pineapple. We grind up the entire thing, minus the crown, the green spiky bit on top. Um, and ours is about um, 3.5% ABV. Um, there's no bubbles in it, no carbonation. That's a typical presentation of it in in, in Mexico. Uh, they, they, they serve it in these uh, plastic baggies with a straw sticking out. Um, that's not how we do it. We serve it in a bottle. <laughs> um, but it's, it's thick. Uh, it's, a little, it's, it's quite sweet. Um, we say on the side of the bottle, mix with beer. Don't drink this straight. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty common thing in Mexico to, yeah. to have some uh, beer mixing with it as well. Um, it goes great with champagne. goes great with ice cream. Those grays a cooking ingredient. Do you also use spices? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We use um, let's see, cinnamon, uh, cloves, and allspice. Um, the tapache, uh, there is no one tapache recipe, right? It's, um, it's like what is the um, what's um, like um, apple pie? Like who, what's your recipe for apple pie? Everybody's got a different one. There are some fundamental sort of agreed upon things like must have crust, must have apples. That's about it. So same thing for tapache. It's like you know must have piloncillo, must have pineapples, right? Spice is optional, beer optional, level of sweetness, level of alcohol, all adjustable variables. Um, so ours is um, three years in the making now. It's a uh, summer seasonal, comes out for Cinco de Mayo and lasts however long it lasts, maybe through August. And we drink it a lot. And you do you do that? Because I've seen bottles of it. Do you do that also on draft? We do. Um, yeah, we do draft. The tapache is uh, really... It's a wild ferment as well, so we grind up the pineapples and then just let them sit, and they ferment themselves. And uh, it's such a wild, uh, active fermentation that we have to stop it with um, pasteurization at just the right time so that we can kill the yeast and uh, preserve some level of sweetness and not have it be too alcoholic. Um, That's just how we want to make it. So when we make it in kegs, we have to actually pasteurize the kegs, which is super dangerous. If you're listening at home, do wow. not ever pasteurize the keg. <laughs> you're heating up the keg? You're heating basically? up. Yeah, we're putting a uh, keg, a sealed keg of tapache. Wow, that's crazy. In Yeah, if a bottle blows up in a pasteurizer, it's like, oh, flying, flying glass. But if a keg blows up in a pasteurizer, it's like Bomb. death to all. So kind of dangerous. But we do, we, do, we do six barrels of it, yeah. You, uh, when I first met you, you, you hit us off with the bottle of Tafache. I think it was the first mm. running or whatever. And with the with the promise that I would share it with my kitchen staff at five hundred eight, uh, yeah. who, who's making Tapache for the kitchen at right. the time, and right. he would always make it and he'd have it have a switch have a have have it mix, mixed with my beer, and he loved it. He absolutely loved it. Yeah. It's with the condition that I showed you the video, and I have it in my phone. I'll uh-huh. after, after the show. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, there's quite there's quite a few. I mean, I've I've heard about a lot of people just kind of making it in the back of the kitchen in a five gallon bucket or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's really cool because that's how you make it in Mexico. That's the way it's made. Yeah. Um, I've had a, a, a large number of uh, cons- uh, customers of ours who are of uh, who are Mexican, and they say. Uh, you're making it in a bottle? It's like, that's crazy. Like, uh, nobody does that. You just make it in your bucket at home. But, um, you know, in, in America, we don't have a culture of making tapache, so I got to bring tapache to the people. With a, with a low ABV and with no hops in that, what is the typical bottle shelf life? Of, well, we do pasteurize the bottles, okay. so th- they're, um, they do change a little bit over time. Um, the pasteurization does a really good job locking down the flavor yeah. as well as killing all the bugs so it's right. we've, so that's pretty, di- pretty yeah good. we've had it we've had um year and a half tapache bottles and they taste fantastic right 
So let's talk about some of your other uh, special projects. What is the Tent Show? Because mm-hmm. we, we get some of your cider out here, mm-hmm. but not that we don't get it as much. And right. unfortunately, we live way across the country to come visit the tap room. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we have um, basically three sort of uh, levels of cider that we make. We make our year-round stuff, which we you can find a lot of places, and we drink it all year long. You have four year-round? Uh, yeah, is we have right? four. We're adding uh, sacrilege sour cherry uh, as, a f- as a fifth year-round. Um, in early 2016. Um, yeah, and those are Revival, our bestseller, Hallelujah Hopricot, the one we've been talking about, Deliverance Ginger Tonic, which is a tonic made with real quinine, lemongrass, lime juice, lime zest, um, ginger, of course. And then uh, a Revelation Newtown Pippin, a single variety Newtown Pippin. And then um, the, the newest one will be Sacrilege Sour Cherry, a very, very tart pie cherry type of cider. Um, then we have occasionals, like seasonals and stuff that come out at certain times of the year. We do a fresh hop version of apricot in the fall. Um, right now, in the wintertime, we have Winter Abbey Spice, which is um, a, like a New England-style cider. So it's fermented with raisins, a bunch of raisins and some spices. Um, uh, we have The Passion that comes out in the middle of summer. It's made with passion fruit. It's extremely sour. It's three times more sour than anything else that we make. It's kind of rips your mouth apart. Um, and then the... the the next sort of tier is tent show projects, which are super small batch. Um, oftentimes, we're only making it once. Um, some of those kegs never leave the tap room. Some of those kegs never leave Portland. And some of the stuff goes into a bottle. And we have a tent show club that you can join and get access uh, to those bottles when they're made available to the public. Um, and it's uh, super limited stuff. Like we do a lot of barrel age things in that in that program. Um, we had a single variety Kingston Black, which is like sort of this miracle apple, right? Um, we did that as a release. Um, mostly barrel aged stuff that sits for a long time. We did a barrel aged tapache, um, oh, awesome. a tequila barrel aged tapache. <laughs> That was an intentional club. Did you make that one higher alcohol than the regular tapache, or yeah. did you? Yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a spitting image for our previous tapache. We took a 2014 tapache, fresh tapache, and put it in uh, tequila barrels and let it sit for the whole year. Uh, it refermented in the barrels, of course. Um, and then when we came time to bottle, we blended it with some with some more fresh tapache just to kind of brighten it up a little bit. Uh, not unsweetened tapache does not really taste like pineapples. It's just really sharp. Mm-hmm. Kind of unpleasant, so you always have to have a little bit of sweetness in there to make it taste like fruit. And then, what's your latest tent show? Ooh, the latest tent show. We're <laughs> we're releasing a, um, a, a cider soon called Ninety Nine on Rate Beer, and it's it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of good. a joke, right? That's great. Um, rate Beer is you know this beer rating website, and um, how do you make an imperial stout <laughs> out of apples? Exactly. So in order to get a Ninety Nine on Rate Beer, it doesn't have to be good; it just has to be high ABV, barrel aged, dark, and usually with a good story right. behind it. Right, right. Um, so we actually reached out to the, the guys who run Rate Beer and said, "Is it all right if we make one called Ninety Nine Rate Beer?" Like, oh, sure, it sounds fine. Just make sure you spell it right and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so we took this. We, we found we were lucky enough to come across this barrel. It's just, it's just an incredible story that start. This barrel started as an Elijah Craig barrel, Elijah Craig bourbon, and then it went to uh, Clear Creek Distillery in Portland, and they made their. Um, they have a Scotch whiskey that they make. They use that barrel to make a Scotch whiskey that comes out once every few years. Uh, the barrel then went to. 
uh, Hair the Dog to make their Cherry Adam from the Wood, which is one of their premier mm-hmm. beers. Um, then the barrel went to Stone Barn Brandy Works. Oh, when, when he put the cherries in there, um, he didn't empty the cherries out. He left the cherries in when he pulled the beer off. <laughs> so this half-filled barrel full of cherries and beer went to Stone Barn Brandy Works, and they made a cherry whiskey in there. And they left the cherries in as well. We got the barrel, and the cherries were still in it with this thick, <laughs> this thick liquid at the bottom, sort of mushy stuff. Right. And we put our sacrilege sour cherry, which is a lactobacillus um, uh, fermented cider, in the barrel uh, for about six months and then pulled it out. But when we pulled ours out, we, we pulled out all the cherries and ate them. So, nice. <laughs> so that, that cider's coming out. Um, I'm not sure. That's coming up pretty soon here. And then what other events besides this Hop Cider Fest do you have? I know that mm-hmm. during CBC you had all these guest cider makers in, which was awesome because yep. you were pouring a bunch of, you know, supporting the whole local cider scene. And um, that's where I met a lot of the other cider makers, yeah. some that we've had on the show since. Um, but what else do you guys do? Well, I I, um, I really like to teach classes. I'm, um, I'm actually here in New York right now to teach a class. Um, and uh, th- th- I like to... It's not just about you know about Reverend Nets. It's about cider in general. We drink ciders from across the across the world. Um, I try to always have ciders that are only apple. It's so easy to say, look at all the variety because this one has peaches and that one has blackberries. And I, th- I mean, I don't I don't think that's um, it's it's too easy to do it that way. What's really fa- fascinating is to present thirty different ciders over the course of a night. It's a lot of drinking. Um, that are all apple and just show the, the incredibly wide range of variety worldwide in insider styles. Um, and I, th- I think it's, it's, it's really eye opening f- for people because they don't know, they think angry orchard and that's the right. beginning and the end of, of their concept of cider. Right. And cider, as I learned from <laughs> cider week this year in New York city is incredible, more variable than even I knew. And I've been, yeah. you know, seeking outsider for many years yeah, now, I, but I, it is absolutely incredible what's happening, especially yeah. in the American cider industry. Yeah, it really so, it, super it, exciting. It does. I, every time I do one of these classes, I drink the 30 ciders as we're talking about them. And at the end, I'm like, God, there's just every, I do this a lot. And I'm always amazed myself. There's a lot of variety in cider in the world of cider. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook and the website, Reverend Nats Hard Cider. All of our social media handles are Rev Nats Cider. And then people can get your um, cider. Do you have a cider finder also where they can find it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're pretty much exclusively in, in the Western U.S. There are some online options that you can buy on our website. You go to our website and you hit where to buy and you can find out where to buy us. Yeah, and definitely if you guys head to Portland, Oregon, regardless if you're going for beer or whatever else, mm-hmm. there's a wealth of fermented stuff that you can do in Portland like we did earlier, but definitely head, stop by. Yeah, what time is actually, when, when is the tap room just, open? We're just not open on Mondays, so we're open Tuesday through Sunday uh, in the afternoons and all day on the weekends. And we're just across the river from downtown uh, Portland in a very central location. Near yeah, the I think I took the, one of the, either a trolley or a bus yeah, there. It was super car, easy to get car to. Street is like one block away from our, our place. Yeah. So. Awesome. So take your date to the functioning brewery. Exactly. <laughs> functioning cidery. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, functioning cidery. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Bring your earplugs. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, and enjoy your time in New York. Thank you. Hey, it's now December. Thank you, RevNat. What an awesome show. Really great to have you out here in New York. Thanks to everything that happened in Cider Week. We have had an amazing season. This is our this is our final airing. I'd say it's our final show, but we didn't... Um, for 2015. Uh, for 2015. Yes, for 2015. Our fall season included things like Sourdough, the Great American Beer Festivals. We had a ton of stuff for Cider Week. We did fermented cured meats. We talked we talked on Hop School in Yakima, Washington with the YCH Hops. Uh, we did cheese making. Two different cheese shows. We 
did Gruitz. We talked to our friends at King, uh, Kings County Brewers Collective. Uh, it was just an amazing season. Thank you for listening and being here. Absolutely. So we have a few weeks off. We will be back in 2016 on January 4th to launch uh, our 2016 season. We are going to be fermenting over our holiday break. Of course, we're having a staycation holiday break. Did you say steak? Yes, I did. (laughs) Steak, S-T-E-A-K. And Chris brings that up because we did join uh, the Ends Meet Meat Club. We had John on the show uh, a few weeks ago, and we joined the meat club and had been having a lot of fun cooking the amazing meat. Yes. Um, And then we also restarted our sourdough starter on Saturday, and we will be, uh, we used our foolproof method with a local rye flour and uh, pineapple juice. And if you want to find out more, we can tweet or or email us. Um, we're, oh, we're but gonna we're going to get through episode bake, 141, stuff from Sarah Owens. Yes, book, we're going to bake through Sarah Owens' new sourdough bread, uh, book. So that's what we will be ferment up to fermenting. We have some seasonal short ferment speed brews that we're going to do, we'll too. Do some Christmas speed brews, absolutely. I have to candy bacon tonight for the New York City Home Brewers Guild meeting, but that reminds me. But that, uh, y'all. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Heritage Radio Network is the world's pioneer food radio station. The studio broadcasts live from this recycled shipping container inside Roberta's Pizza. And this place is awesome. It's an epicenter of Brooklyn's culinary renaissance. And as an independent nonprofit station, we run 100% on the support of our diverse community of members and underwriters. Our networks include, or, our network is united in the idea that a small group of dedicated people can change the world. One sound bite at a time. We rely on members. It is the given season. We have a goal of a fundraising uh, by the end of the year, and we are just over half of the way there uh, to, to continue seasons and continue on air for you guys. If you like what you're listening to, please, please hit heritageradionetwork.org. Hit hit the beating heart in the top right corner and donate or become a member of Heritage Radio Network today. Uh, we are so thankful to everybody involved in, in Heritage Radio Network, the, the supporters, the listeners, uh, to have this platform form to share uh, this passion of ours of fermentation. Also, we, let's give a thank thank you to our wonderful engineer, Liz Smith, yes. our intern, yeah. co-producer, Rachel Jacobs, yeah. and our photographer, all things media, good guy, Jaren David, yeah. who supports has supported <laughs> us all this season. Um, so I, I hope you guys are having as much fun listening to us um, and trying fermentation as we have been, and we will be back January 4th. Ferment about it. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Battle with